Welcome to the Sam Knows Podcast. I'm Barry Collins. Few things are more infuriating than your broadband connection going down, especially these days when it's your professional as well as your personal life that's likely to suffer. Broadband providers obviously want to deal with problems before their customers even notice them, but that's not always easy. When you're serving millions of homes and businesses with various types of connection, a huge range of routers and different versions of software on those routers, nailing down the cause of a problem is rarely simple. That's why Sam Crawford and his team at Sam Knows devised FaultFinder, a product that combines the enormous amount of real-time data Sam Knows collects from broadband lines with metadata provided by the ISPs themselves to help precisely identify the cause and scale of a fault, sometimes within seconds. In this month's podcast, Sam tells me about how FaultFinder was developed, how it works, and what he plans to add to the product in the future. I started by asking Sam how long he'd been working on the Fault Finder concept. Um, working on not very long, maybe uh, maybe a year or so now, um, maybe a little bit longer. But uh, but thinking about it, um, uh, many 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 years prior to that, or well, at least four or five years prior to that, um, uh, we already have uh, a lot of measurement data. So um, you know, human. You know, Billions and billions of uh, rows of measurement data arrive every day into our platform, and um, often it's like uh, finding finding a needle in a haystack looking for an issue. Well, you don't even know if there's zero needles in the haystack or a million needles. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're running so many measurements across such large networks, there's bound to be a bunch of needles at any one time in the haystack, and. Um, uh, we've had lots of issues over the years, or we've helped customers to identify lots of issues, but it's been quite a manual, painstaking process for the customers to find it. Um, and we've all, I've always thought that it would be nice to um, uh, to automate it somehow. So, uh, because we already have all of the ingredients, it's just a case of putting the data that we already have to better use um, and uh, automating the analysis of this to discover anomalies. So that's... Um, uh, an idea that's been simmering in the back of my mind for uh, for many years, and it was lockdown that finally gave you the opportunity to to put it to work. Um, it, yes, not just lockdown. To be fair, um, yes, lockdown certainly gave um, gave uh, gave me a, an opportunity to explore some some stuff technically um, because we weren't traveling so much or well <laughs> at all. Um, so uh, and. Uh, yeah, and everyone kind of tightened their belts a little bit. Um, so there was, um, uh, particularly in the early days of the lockdown, there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, so, and we were all working from home, so we had less traveling into the office too. So, yeah, I had a lot of time to experiment with um, um, uh, with new things. I'd say the other thing which um, gave us the opportunity to work on this was something that I think we might have talked about on the podcast previously, or certainly in, in blog posts, which is our move to um, a new data pipeline around two years or so ago, which rather than using um, batch-based processing, uses uh, real-time streaming of measurement data. Um, mm-hmm. And really, it's the real-time aspect that makes Fault Finder possible. We need a real-time stream of data to work from. So tell us how Fault Finder works and, and what it actually does. 
So as you know, we have all of these uh, measurement agents around the world, a um, couple of hundred thousand white boxes, um, our own hardware measurement probes, um, but uh, we have a far, far larger number of, of our router agents running inside CPE provided by um, ISP. So we have tens of millions of those. And all of these are running um, scheduled measurements. Um, well, yeah, the vast majority of them are running scheduled measurements. So this means we might run a... I don't know, um, a download test once an hour or once every few hours, a latency test once an hour. Um, uh, and that predictability is important, and we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, so we have all of this measurement data arriving into our data pipeline. Um, and at the moment, or historically what we've done is we've taken that measurement data, we've dropped it straight into um, our uh, big data store, which is um, BigQuery provided by Google's cloud hosting platform. And then we've made it available in our um, in, in SamNose One. And most of our customers will look at that in the analytics part of SamNose One, and they'll look across, um, I don't know, they'll look across their, their network at the various metrics and, and look for, um, uh, and they might have a network operations team which is looking for changes, um, so drops in performance, drops in number of devices online, things like this. But it's all quite, mm -hmm. um, it's all been quite manual historically. Um, and we've been to some of the network operation centers that some of the ISPs run, and they're quite impressive things. They look like a, a NASA-style control room, which is quite cool. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're just we're just one of the systems up on the wall, but there's uh, there's many others. And um, Fault Finder basically automates the process of um, looking for anomalies in the measurement data. So we have this constant stream of incoming measurement data, and importantly, metadata, which I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, we have this constant stream of incoming measurement data. Um, and the, the predictability of it um, allows us to build a, a model or build trends of what is expected performance based upon the historical average um, and the expected um, volumes, because we know what the expected volumes should be because they're, they're scheduled measurements. And again, we have the historical um, volumes to act as our um, to act as our trend line. Mm -hmm. And then we are basically comparing the, the current set of measurements or the current working set of measurements, which is across a sliding window, against our um, historical trends. Now, this sounds quite sounds quite simple, quite basic, um, but we're doing this across not just like one or two dimensions, like what is the um, the historical download speed, what is the current versus historical download speed for, I don't know, Comcast as an example. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we're doing this across tens or hundreds of thousands of different dimensions. And this is where the metadata comes into play. So we're not just looking at download speed, as an example, we're looking at um, all of our metrics, and remember, we have dozens and dozens of metrics. Um, obviously, download speed is one of them, but uh, there's upload speed, you know, latency, loss, all of the gaming measurements, video conferencing, so on. We're doing it for, for all of the metrics, uh, and we're not just doing it for the um, for the for the for the for the metric values themselves, like download speed. We're also looking at the uh, the sample count, so the number of measurements we receive. Because if there's a big drop in uh, measurement sample size, then that's an indicator that, that something else has gone wrong. Mm -hmm. So um, maybe a whole bunch of devices have, um, have gone offline due to maybe a power cut or a problem in a part of an operator's network or a flood. I don't know. It could be or configuration issue, um, like we talked about with the resilience episode a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. Um, and then there is a much larger set of dimensions um, uh, that multiplies out everything I've talked about, which is metadata. Now, when we say metadata, we mean information about the white boxes or CPE. So that might be, you know, we know um, the by by working with the ISP, they might tell us that um, 
CPE number 12345 is on um, an Aris CMTS uh, with this firmware version on this line card in Atlanta. Um, and uh, I don't know, there's, there's lots more dimensions, right? Some, mm-hmm. some of the ISPs will give us about 30 or 40 different metadata fields. Um, so from everything from the from the head end um, uh, side of the equation to the to the client side side of the equation, so the CPE model number and firmware version, things like that. So things that we can't necessarily know ourselves, things which the operator has to tell us. So by combining the the metric data. Uh, the, the measurements that we collect with the metadata that's provided by the operator, um, we can track down really, really, really specific things mm-hmm. uh, with really high granularity and with really high certainty. So, for example, let's say um, an operator deploys, and this is a real example, um, let's say an operator deploys a, a new firmware across their um, their CPE fleet, um, and this firmware has a a very subtle bug which causes uh, wired throughput to slow down um, to 10 megabits per second. So regardless of what access speed, regardless whether you're on a 100 megabit product, one gigabit product, or five megabit product, doesn't matter, it will cause your um, your internet access speed um, to slow down to 10 megabits per second. Mm-hmm. If you're just looking at this in a, a traditional analytic system, you're going to see a slow trend downwards um, from the previous average speed as this firmware is slowly deployed across the um, user base. And then you're going to have to go through all of the um, uh, the various groupings and filtering options in your analytics platform, whether it's Samnos or whether it's something else, doesn't matter. And you're going to have to say, you have to try and find right, what is the factor which is causing this this drop. Uh, maybe you as an engineer, maybe you already know that there was a firmware rollout which has started on you know, last Wednesday, or maybe you don't. In large organizations, these things happen one one part of the organization doesn't necessarily know what the other part is doing. Yeah. But our but full finder will be able to say I've seen a, a drop in download speeds and it is actually correlated very very highly with a change in um this particular piece of metadata. So I can see the firmware version was previously 1, it's now 2 and that has a 90% correlation with the drop in um uh, in download speeds. Uh, so then an anomaly is raised by Fault Finder, which says um, there's been a, a 95% drop in download speeds and uh, we think it has a high impact and we think it's caused by um, uh, the switch from firmware version 1 to firmware version 2. Of course, right. Fault, Finder does, it has, Fault Finder has no understanding of what it means um, uh, with a f- from a firmware version change. It doesn't, it doesn't understand firmwares. You could give it a piece of metadata, which is like, you know, what color is the customer's front door and it will try <laughs> to do the correlation with that but um it's it's basically it's finding that needle in the haystack for you and so the key here is that it's not just saying you've got a problem it's saying you've got a problem and we think this is the cause yes bear in mind we can it can only be as good as the the input data so we, we can be very sure about the measurement data because we're collecting that ourselves if the if the me- metadata we're given is is incomplete. So let's say the ISP doesn't give us the key factor which is actually causing the problem. Then we will correlate it, and we will uh, we might correlate it to something else. Like in that particular instance, if they don't give us the firmware version, maybe they just give us the CPU model. We'll correlate it to the CPU model um, which had the firmware update, but maybe we'll give it a much lower probability score um, because you know only half the CPU have had that rollout but it's still the highest probability or it's still the highest impact element out of all of the uh, the various metadata and so working out where an outlier or, or an anomaly 
occurs must be quite difficult and and different i presume between every isp and and every metric because you, you know you, you can't just set like a 10 percent band presumably and describe it as an anomaly uh, across the board no abs- absolutely yeah um and this is um one of the key concerns i've, I've worked in um, a network operations center early in my um early in my career i worked um a little bank called lehman brothers and i worked in a network <laughs> operations center for uh, for a year or so on my industrial placement year from university so i know what a network operations center is like and i know what it's like to um uh to have uh, to have fixed set thresholds on things i mean sometimes for some things it is reasonable to have a fixed um set of thresholds but Certainly, and when I mean fixed thresholds, what I'm saying is like, let's say your your normal uh, latency to Google.com is five milliseconds. Um, uh, you might set a fixed set of thresholds to say anything more than eight milliseconds, I'm going to generate an alert. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that, that's fine if you're operating over a lease line and you've got dedicated connectivity to Google and you know that anything more than that is probably really a problem, but it doesn't work so well in the internet because you know, my, my, my internet connection at home might have 18 milliseconds to Google, and my, um, but five miles down the road, it might be 20 milliseconds to Google because of um, well, a, the extra distance and B um, different paths through the, through the operator's network. Um, and another user might have one millisecond to Google. It can be, there's no, there's no good fixed set of bounds which work really well on the internet. And much more importantly, um, some of these uh, factors change by time of day. Uh So some operators will have, quite reasonably, have some congestion during peak hours. Um, So you will see... I don't know, throughput drops slightly during peak hours, latency increase slightly during peak hours, packet loss increase slightly during peak hours. Um, so you don't want to come up with a fixed set of um, thresholds which have to encompass all of the um, the peaks and, and drops and so on because you're going to be missing stuff and you're going to be too you're going to be missing some parts of the day and you'll be too sensitive in other parts. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all this is a long uh, a long way of saying that that fault finder doesn't use fixed thresholds at all. Um, it, it learns based upon historical trends for what is um, normal for the network and then basically applies a standard deviation multiplier across those previous trends to work out what is um, what is an acceptable tolerance. So um, as an example, if your if your ISP, if, let's say we're modeling a trend for download speed in Luton, mm-hmm. um, uh, let's say off-peak hours, uh, it, you know, the average is, let's say, uh, somewhere between 90 and 100 megabits. And uh, on-peak, let's say this ISP has a known congestion problem and it's dropping down to 50 megabits, but they're okay with that. For whatever reason, the ISP is tolerant of that. Mm-hmm. Um Fault Finder will learn that pattern. So it will say, right, 90 to 100 megabits, um, off-peak hours, um, whatever the standard deviation of that is, that means it's going to, it's going to calculate a set of acceptable bounds around that, um, around that mean. So it might say, I don't know, let's say 80 to 100 and um, 120 megabits per second will be acceptable off-peak. And then during peak, it might accept, um, um, let's say, 40 to 60 megabits or 30 to, to 70. Um, and if, if speeds are more um, not only lower but also more volatile during peak hours, then it will learn that that volatility is normal as well and it will increase the, um, the thresholds accordingly. You touched on this earlier when you talked about the the real time data, but what are some of the unique things about Fault Finder? What what does it do that none of your rivals can offer? 
So the, the real time is important to us, and we know that um, we know from our work on the data pipeline a couple of years ago that, that some of our customers really, really, really value having the measurement data arriving in real time, particularly the people who are relying on it for network operations. Strangely enough, I was um, talking with somebody who worked at another company who does some some measurements recently, and we were talking about data pipelines as as we do, mm-hmm. and. Um, they said they they don't have a real time data pipeline. They have a twenty four hour uh, batch delayed mechanism for loading all of their data, um, which basically would make. And they said that's fine for their use case, for their customers' use case. They they don't really have any strong demand for real time data. But what that also uh, means is it's impossible for them to do something like Fault Finder um, without a twenty four hour delay. Mm-hmm. Who wants to be told about a um, uh, you know, a, a major issue that's occurring across your customer base um, 24 hours late. The, the whole idea of something like Fault Finder is to know about it before your customers know about it so that you can rectify it. Um, so the real-time data allows us to uh, to identify faults very quickly. And uh, we'll, t- we'll touch on this later, but we're working to bring that down even lower. With the, with the volume of measurements that we have coming in, we can identify some kinds of faults far, far more quickly um, than others. I mean, potentially down to um, a minute or so, or maybe even into the um, into the seconds area in the future. Um, so if you just think about it, if we've got, I don't know, let's say we've got um, 6 million um, agents on one ISP reporting us measurements, mm-hmm. that's um, even if they're only running um, you know, a test once every I don't know. Uh, let's say they're running a, um, a latency test once every couple of hours, something like this. Um, because we just have so many agents out there, it doesn't matter that they're only running once every couple of hours. Um, it means we've got a lot of measurements arriving every um, every second. Um, so we can we can spot a lack of measurements um, very very quickly. Uh, so we can't necessarily spot a, um, a rise in latency, but we can certainly spot outages very very quickly. So that and that's really really important. Having the real time data enables us to do that. If we were operating a batch processing process, then we well, we couldn't do that. The other thing that sets us apart is the the metadata that I talked about earlier. We have um, uh, such a well-established feed of metadata from, from some of the large ISPs we work with that uh, we can get really, really, really granular. And don't get me wrong, we don't have that for all of the ISPs we work with. Um, for some of the smaller ones, it, it can be a bit onerous on them to set up a, a metadata feed. But that's something we're working with them to um, uh, to simplify. Um, but yeah, it's the key thing for me with Fault Finder is that we already have all of the building blocks. We already have the real-time data, we already have the scheduled measurements, and we already have the the metadata feed arriving to us. So we just needed to put those pieces together, plug it into an anomaly detection engine that we wrote um, in-house, and uh, we have the data. We have the anomalies. It doesn't. It doesn't need our ISP customers or uh, to do anything new or different. We already had all of the pieces uh, to do this. So we're making more out of what we already had, and that's a very, very um, uh, attractive thing for both us and the customers. You touched there about writing the software in house. Just for the techies in the audience, give us a bit more about how Fault Finder is coded and, and what language you use and whatever. Uh, sure, it's it's actually written in Java because. Uh, that's probably what I have the most experience in for this kind of project, and also the the Kafka. So we're using um, uh, we're using Kafka as our real time event streaming system, um, and the Kafka. Uh, 
libraries for Java are very, very good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we're making use of um, uh, Java with Kafka for the streaming layer. We're using uh, Spring Boot as a, as a framework within Java to basically make some of the instrumentation much easier. Um, and uh, obviously, we're running all this inside Docker containers to, to, to separate it out into, into individual microservices. Um, and yes, that's pretty much it. And it's all coded in-house. You're not taking any off-the-shelf sort of elements. Um, we're using open source libraries where it makes sense to use open source libraries like um, uh, like like Spring Boot. Um, and we're certainly making use of some 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 well-published techniques for estimating sample sizes or or volumes um, with very low memory overheads. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, like simply we. As I mentioned earlier, we have um, billions and billions of measurements arriving every single day. Um, we can't store all of that measurement data in um, in memory in uh, a Java or in any application, um, and then try to perform analysis on it in real time. It doesn't it, the 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 memory storage requirements would be would be very very large. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead, what you tend to do is you use um, um, estimates. Now, these estimates, it might sound a bad thing, but when you're using estimates across very, very large data sets, you can do that very efficiently uh, with very little error. Um, yeah, it's the same thing which people like um, uh, Google and Facebook use for their um, for their advertising impressions estimates. Uh, so one example algorithm f- um, uh, that we make use of extensively inside Fault Finder is um, HyperLogLog, which is a, an algorithm for estimating um, uh, frequency distribution. And just finally, Sam, what else are you looking to add to Fault Finder in the future? Uh, well, lots of things. <laughs> so um, as examples, a couple of examples would be, um, one, I mentioned earlier, getting the detection time for anomalies um, down even further. Um, so bringing it, we think we can get it down to um, uh, sub one minute for uh, for higher impact or the more obvious uh, anomalies. Currently, mm-hmm. we wait a bit longer to have certainty, but that's simply because we don't want to generate false positives until we're, uh, well, we don't want to generate false positives at all, right? But mm-hmm. We want to have certainty before we um, generate an anomaly. But I think we can bring that down quite a bit still. And secondly, in the future, it would be nice to incorporate some machine learning into this as well. So far, frankly, we haven't needed to. Um, but in the future, it would be nice to add in a a, a feedback loop um, so uh, we can take into account user feedback uh, from anomalies so for example if a user if we generate an anomaly and the user says actually this um, this was a, this this was a this was a real anomaly and it was a really high impact anomaly um, we can take that feedback incorporate it into our future models and then increase our sensitivity to try and catch those kinds of um, anomalies uh, sooner in the future That's it from this month's episode of the Sam Knows Podcast. Make sure to read the full article on samnose.com and we'll be back next month. Goodbye.